Hey everyone, it's Tom here, back with another edition of Alpha Metallica. We have finished the first trial of the return of Alpha Metallica. This is, as I see it currently, a story in three parts. You know, first we get through 72 seasons, which we've done. We've we've cleaned the origins tables uh, as as you were, but yeah, we are done. Inamorata is today, and we're going to be tackling that. But uh, we've got portals ahead of us, and of course we've got the blacklist as well. So we've got a lot on our plate, but it was important to me that we finished out in a Murata, right? This has been 72 season season. As I said many times, it hasn't caught on, but still I will, uh, I will attest that it's been a wonderful season full of great guests. And it was a no brainer really to get this guy involved. Clint, how's it going, sir? Going good. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Long live Alpha Metallica. We were dormant as you fuck it. You wrecked Japan. Like, you know, I've got to be honest with you. Obviously, you know, we're cool and stuff and it's like on socials and it's like, oh, how's this guy doing? But like, I kind of fell off the metal. I maybe became more of a Dean Delray head. You know, it was, it was a difficult time for me. I love Dean. But you guys were always there. It was like, oh my God, you're covering every gig. There's like, this is Kirk's new strings. Like, I loved it. Yeah, we're the cockroaches of Metallica podcasts. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> you know, you go on long enough and now it's very common that friends of the show enjoy telling us that they don't listen anymore, which is a, a bit of a puzzle, <laughs> puzzle, puzzling to me. But uh, yeah, while you guys take your breaks and take yeah. your sabbaticals, yeah, we're still here holding it down. And uh, I don't know what else to do. I feel uh, I feel like the work's not done. And as people hop on and off the ride, I'm still up in the uh, engineer's seat conducting, still giving the guided tour. If you look to your left, you'll see uh, Kirk Hammett. Beautiful. Kirk Hammett's wah pedal. If you look to your right, you'll see James Hetfield in A Blaze of Glory in 92. And uh, yeah, happy to happy to be talking in a Murata with you. I got to admit, I don't know what you're going to say about it. I, I don't know if you if you hate it. I don't know if you love it. I don't know if you're going to I don't know if you're going to bash Kirk. I don't know if you're going to bash the right, production. Right. I mean, you know the gate i mean i've got to be candid here um <laughs> this 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 track's getting a lot of praise this track feels to me like the halo on fire of of this record you know what i mean the big epic that seems to sort of call back and this definitely calls back in a lot of ways which we'll get into but yeah i i, I don't know again i you know i don't want to you know piss on anyone's cornflakes or anything like that but but yeah listen to the track a lot gave it the old alpha alpha once through you know made the notes i tend to watch people play it on guitar now on youtube as well i find that really helps for me to sort of get to grips with slightly newer songs or whatever so um visually at least and I, I i don't know man for me yeah it's it's fine you know it's it's kind of in the the sort of you know i've, I've been watching succession lately and tom says to greg that most people exist in the endless middle you know some people get to the top of the bottom and some people get to lowest and uh, so much of something seasons is this sprawl of kind of they're playing guitar it's distorted it's drums it's loud and i i don't know it doesn't like quite mesh for me um, uh, you know, I don't mean to compare past, but I don't know. In Emirata for me, it's fine. It, it, Eleven minutes is too long. Eleven minutes is a criminal runtime for this song, though. Yeah, they they, uh, they sort of brag that it's their longest song. One riff, Cliff. Like I say, Cliff there because I just lost my train of thought. I was just you know I was in repentant mode, but it's pretty much one riff. This song, I mean, you know what I'm saying? A lot of variants on that motif, on that line. We build up to it. We harmonize through it. We solo on it. We riff through it like. We get it, you know, the seven nine, the slide, the bend. It's just <laughs> I'm kind of pulling my hair out a little bit. I wonder too though, because talking to you, listening to the podcast, you know, you're also you're also just kind of not up on the album in general. So it's gotta be hard. Like when the single started coming out, I thought, man, I really hope I like it. Because if I don't like it, it's going to be hard to talk about it a lot. 
And uh, I, I, yep. had, I was a little trepidatious about it, but I, I, and I'm not paying lip service. I'm really not. I actually just like it. Yeah, of course. No, 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 absolutely. Dude, you know, in, in that same vein, I'm going for a huge Creed phase at the moment. Yeah. And I know they're one of the most laughed at bands. I think a lot of people like, are. Yeah, yeah. Just for some reason, One Last Breath to me is like the greatest song in the world all of a sudden. Like, I just can't, you know, get enough of it or whatever. And there is an interesting reevaluation of Creed happening because as everyone knows, they've, they've gotten back together. They're going to be doing some festivals. And I think a lot of yeah. us are playing those first couple of records again and going, yeah, you know what? There's only three. You know, there's not, there's, they're, they're back catalog you can listen to as long as a sermon lasts, you know, by Scott's like. I stand by Human Clay. I think Human Clay is really. Oh, dude, Weathered is fire. Yeah. Weathered is sensei. But one of the things about them that is outstanding on Creed, some of the worst ever Photoshop for album covers, like I really can't, I'm like, I'm like Toy Story was released like nine years ago. Like The cover of Weathered in particular, where they're all their faces oh are in God. that tree. Yeah, it is. It's the three faces Oof. of worn sort of open. Like, Brutal. You know, so, so the point, the point I'm trying to make is, yes, you love Enamorata, I love Creed. You know, we both kind of <laughs> love Creed load, you know, that sort of, you know, that sort of thing. And obviously it occupies a space, uh, you know, a higher space, some people might say, that is untouchable really by words. I will say to kind of get on your level, to be fair, because I always appreciate how honest you are. I think that's what gives your show mm. a lot of integrity. I will say it getting the fixer, um, fixer outlaw torn, it's getting sort of put in that. And I will agree with people that it, it's that of the record. You said Halo on Fire. You know, it's the it's the more meditative, somber thing, the My Friend of Misery. There's a lot of allusions to My Friend of Misery, obviously, on the song. But I don't think it quite gets there. I, I It would be hard for me to put it in the same category as Fixer. I think it is that for the record. In the catalog, I don't think it gets up there for me. It's one of the more Sabbathy things that they've done, which is a lot of load and reload is kind of Sabbathy. It's you said the seven nine mm -hmm. thing. It's funny that you call it that, but yeah, that sort of slower, the slower riff, the ploddingness of it, and it does kind of go on. I think I think they still have that thing that they had in the eighties, where it's like they eschewed it in the nineties, but they have this thing where it's like if it's too short, they just keep adding the riff again. Like they still yeah. feel like yeah. length is currency. Like yeah, it's strange. I mm -hmm. dude, as blasphemous as it sounds, I've actually really thought about going into Logic, which is my recording software and trimming up the whole thing just for my own personal listening. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's been done, actually. Oh, and really? I've always said, you know, thematically, just make it 72 minutes. Like, that would be beautiful, actually, if they did that. But, you know, it's like 78 or something like that because, you know, fucking Shadows Follow has like four extra... I, I don't know, yeah. It can get a little great. So let's get into the song, you know, structurally. And, you know, it, it begins really with the riff build i mean to be fair james's vocals do come in about 90 seconds in or something like that so the, you know it doesn't take too long with that they come in quite surprisingly early but yeah that kind of open heavy splatty kind of you know full figure kind of riff uh they kind of camp on that moment it, it has a little twist to it and i guess you know here you've got to take your medicine really and if this riff is addicted for you that this is like a water slide of a song but i don't know for me and again the way it strips and the way it's used for parts it, it's a, it's stock to say something stock. I get that. It's like you know the stockiest thing to say about music, but like it just it, there's still some ingenuity in James's you know work. But I I I, I don't know. I don't I don't know. Clint, I don't, this one really sail with me. Some people are saying it's one of the greatest songs ever. That that is quite baffling. <laughs> do you like the Cure? You like the band the Cure? I I do. Disintegration. I, I'm a fan of. Yeah. So they're known for having very long intros. I mean, and and they do feel hypnotic. Mm -hmm. They're kind of samey. But what Robert Smith is a genius at 
is he keeps layering melodies, like counter melody. And I'm thinking about specifically a song on Disintegration called Lullaby. Right. And it's just this kind of plot. It's just two chords over and over. But every time it comes mm. back around, they add an element. They add a texture. They add a, a counter melody. And on paper, it should be too busy. Like, it, sh- it should be too much. And there's part of me that's like, dude, just start singing. But they do it so beautifully. And so there's a sense to where the song breathes. Yeah, but they're way more artful than Metallica, aren't they? Like, metal bands do just camp out on the riff for no reason. Like, I feel like there's an artisanal thing there with Smith. Like. I think if you're going to start adding textures, I mean, so, some of the songs on Load and Reload are quite long. I mean, they're up in there in the seven and the tens without fast shit, without double <laughs> You're telling me? <laughs> yeah. But I think those albums have a lot of texture. There's something, there's a new element coming in. There's a lot of ear candy on those records. Inamorata, like Hardwired, mm. is kind of like two guitars on the sides, maybe one down the middle. There's not a lot of overdubby textural stuff. So yeah, you got to kind of close no. your eyes and get on the ride. And I think you, I think you made a good point. Like if it, if the riff to you is like ear candy, it is kind of like a treat, which it is kind of me. It's very Sabbathy. It's a very Sabbath vibe that riff, mm. and then and then what they do do, yes. yeah, absolutely, they do a more subtle thing, which you alluded to also, where they're not just playing the riff over and over. Each time it comes around, and they they trade about eight bars each. They tweak a little thing here, a little thing there. That for me, because I listen mm. as a guitar player, I hear the little stuff and I like it. And then of course the drums and the bass yeah. ramping up. But I think the song, like most of the album, is really kind of a showcase for James's vocals this time around and for the lyrics, very personal lyrics. I think the lyrics are better this time around than even Hardwired. I don't know where you stand on that. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, lyrically, again, it, 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 I've said openly, it's not the reason I listen to Metallica, to be honest with you. Right. You know, there are certain lyricists that I adore, uh, you know, Waits, Costello, The Roches, et cetera, Ricky Lee Jones. Heath just isn't, he's the guitar growler for me. He's an absolute genius with the six string that has just broken pretty much more ground than anyone. And, and I'm kind of in awe of the man, you know, inside and out. But yeah, it isn't really the lyrics. And I will damn him here. You can't use the word misery. You just, you can't, you, everyone gets one. Okay. The Beatles got one. Paramore got one. Like you don't go back to the misery well, like King, etc. Like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, he quotes himself a lot on this record. Obviously this is introspective to the max and you feel like, you know, he is kind of confronting the kind of, you know, dark force at the center of all of this thing here, his companion of misery. But it's like, you've said misery. You've got a song called My Friend of Misery. My Friend of Misery, the title, just puts it better as a metaphor of companionship, way better than misery needs me. I love her. I need her more. I just, I I really find it quite bland, actually. And I feel like if the word misery wasn't there, it wouldn't, you know, and he doesn't quote it at the end guitar solo as well with the harmony bit. I just, again, it just feels a bit kind of, it doesn't feel natural to me. It, It just feels a little kind of, I don't know, tepid. I think for him, he might say, um, and this is what I see when I see it in terms of him sort of revisiting, you know, mining his own material. The first time around, obviously it's in the title, Misery is a Friend. This time, Mm. 30 years later, he's talking about Misery as a Lover. You know, like I think he would describe the evolution as more intimate and therefore harder to to get rid of, harder to, you know, harder to Mm. rise above. I find that interesting. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I really, I really like it. I get to be the guy that likes it on this podcast, which is I, good. No, I hope you do. Like it, again, like you know, it doesn't matter. Obviously, uh, at the end of the day, but this is just how I took the song. You know, I was very excited to see that it was a lengthy number, and you know, there are sections in it when the guitar do slightly more interesting things. You know, there's a lot of Lizzie esque lines with the. I mean, I mentioned five seven before, but as a guitar player, you'll be aware of like the shape of like 
you know, 11.13 on the G string and then 12.14 on the B, you know, your hands are just there. And that is just, you know, rock 101. And I think like Lizzie, they ring a lot from very few notes. There. But, you know, still the guitar playing, the solo playing, you know, I, I don't know. We're not dealing with Zappa or Bill Frizzell here. Like I'm really not kind of on the edge of my seat with every phrase and note choice and direction. It's just, oh, we're here. We're just, yeah, you're going to double stop for a bit. Descent, yeah, you're going to descend. Go fast for no reason. Why not? Like, I don't know. It just feels very grab baggy to me. I don't, I don't feel much of a brain behind the fretboard there. I don't, I don't, I don't I, whatever. It's this sort of music. I know it's fresh. It's just, it's the solo headbang. But for me, for, for like, you know, if it's the guy who's into guitar solos and stuff, I, I'm, I'm banging my head against the wall, to be honest with you, for the most part. Yeah. Do you feel like when you listen to music, you have to be on the edge of your seat for it to be valid? No, but it has to intrigue me creatively or satisfy something. Like if I just find it moribund, like I find it like this, I just find it just kind of irritating quite quickly. Like, yeah, not everything has to set my world on fire, but I think something has to pique an interest. And, you know, it's just the solos as a solo. Um, is James playing some of the solos here? I, I imagine he is. It feels a bit different in some sort of ways. I don't know if he's playing any of the like breakout leads. He's okay. definitely doing a lot of the guitar mini stuff for sure. Yeah, there's, there's nice patterns sometimes. You know, I mean, there is a lot there. But I guess one of the issues as well with the song is that it builds to a big climax. You know, it's an 11 minute song. Like, I remember listening to this, I was like, where is this going to go? You know, this is building, building James, misery, et cetera. And then it just kind of goes back to the main riff, like with a little bit of variant. And I was like, uh, this isn't like some big spectral chasm that's going to take us somewhere. It's just, remember that misery riff, it's back, but I'm going to slide a bit more. Like, I, I, I don't know, for me, it just felt a little uh, galling. There's a there's a riff that when he's doing the mis the misery stuff at the end there is a riff that comes in at the end that they've never done before in the song there is yeah, an interesting the, the riff, change it, like, exactly. I like that riff yeah exactly yeah I like that riff but again that is fresh blood like eight minutes of the song and I counted because I was counting all these sections so yeah again I, you know I appreciate this song might be for you but I I'm I'm just saying compositionally and as someone who you know, is in no way an expert at Metallica, but I guess to listen to all the songs and, you know, just, just in my estimation for what it's worth. But, but yeah, um, certain elements of the song I do like, I like when the song gets quite slow, you know, and, and quite quiet. And we can really hear Rob down there. I hear a bit of Yoko in Rob down there. He sounds great. You know, that's one of my least favorite parts of the album is, is I love that it gets soft. It's like the only dynamic moment of the record is when it gets kind of like slow yeah. and clean. And I love James's stuff. And I, when he finally says, not while I'm living, uh, I think that's cool. Uh, well, he mm. says, not what I'm living for, but I always hear not while I'm living, which I kind of think is a cool, you know, not while I'm alive. You yeah, know? I heard the end of Lux Turner as my lady. And I didn't know if James was <laughs> yeah, beard, but I just went with it. Like, Instead of light it up, you heard my lady. My lady. I was like, okay, Dude, that's funny. I, I think the Rob stuff is really a missed opportunity because of what a great bass player he is. And I'm not saying that more notes means you're better. I'm, I'm 40 years old. I know that less is more and shit. But it, it really is this like single quarter note. Like it, it, there's not enough. It sounds like he's scared to be playing. I would be mortified for him to hear that. You know, I've seen interviews where he talks specifically about when he was recording that he had his eyes closed and every note he felt like meant something. And he knew that the gravitas mm -hmm. of the song for James I'm just saying, as a listener, as a fan, hearing him just go down, feels like it just feels like he's scared <laughs> to play. It's a little more than that. 
it's not much more than that dude it's very very sparse no there there isn't much no no no, there isn't much but uh, it it sounds to me like he's scared to play i mean it sounds like he was afraid to like really roam you know well he does open the record though uh yeah with the 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 fast the fast chuggy shit yeah 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 so but but yeah no i hear you definitely it's nice that he gets that well you can kind of but you can kind of hide behind that though you know if it's something really fast you can when you uh, do yeah. anyone will tell you that, that that records or makes music that it's the dynamic moments where you get more scared because everything you do you can't hide behind anything if kirk's wide open with a wah mm. he can hide behind all that shit and every guitar player kind of has tricks like that but it's that opening to nothing else matters where you're we're all watching with yeah. on fucking pins and needles hoping that kirk lands that motherfucker and of course sometimes he doesn't and that goes viral you know you've seen that video of when he really messes up the intro to nothing else matters yeah yeah no, i, I just That's recently hard. watched um bon jovi not being able to sing and that was recommended after oh, it. oh so yeah yeah that's brutal right that is yeah he is a legend though to be fair so but but yeah so i i do want to um i do want to go on to some um some listeners who have got in touch about this song but before we do are there any uh any final thoughts on this song sir um geez i feel like we're on a seesaw and i have to have to really balance this out because you're 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 bumming out so many metallic fans um (laughs) i you know i talk about it a lot on my podcast because you got to put it somewhere it's the new metallic album it they're they're one of these bands that are the victims of how great they are meaning everyone's always going to compare whatever they're doing to their greatest work and their greatest work is some of the best in the genre okay so Hmm. it's just contextualizing it is important for that reason so I sort of put it where it goes, stage of life. They don't have to make records. They don't have to even be good at making records. So when I look at it through that prism, I think it's great. I do think that lyrically and thematically it ties in. I think 72 Seasons is a lot more cohesive lyrically than Hardwired was. I think it's a really interesting statement by James, especially this late in the game. It's the only song with dynamics. I mean, it's it's a highlight for me. I would say it's a highlight for me. And the the not while I'm, not what I'm living for vocal part is definitely like top three moment in the whole record for me. Mm-hmm. I do like the guitar harmonies, um, and I do like if you're ready for that ride. It is a long ride, and it, but if you're ready for it, it is a good ride. So that'll be my sort of concluding thoughts until we hear what your uh, your fans have to say about it. Well, what, what, I mean, you've just you've just reminded me of a few bits that um that I wanted to mention as well. What do you think of James's James's no nos here? They're they're pretty bro- blood curdling, actually. They're pretty haunting. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's I think it's great. I hear a lot of the emotion of the lyric in his voice. You know, he's an intense guy. Recently, that guy Lee Jeffries, who's been photographing the seventy two seasons tour, um, he's been getting mm. like really up close and personal shit. And he put out a post, I think, just today or maybe yesterday, and he's videoing James before James takes the stage. And this is kind of not him passing cigars out to fans. It's like yeah. it's like him, you know, sitting down, head down, eyes closed, getting into it, you know. And part of me was like, okay, like part of me was kind of cynically like, all right. But honestly, I've seen him up close. I've seen that. And it's just real. It's just really who he is. You know, I just think he's he's that guy. And whether or not the song lands for you or other listeners or maybe a lot of the St. Anger material didn't land for me. He's a dude who really puts a lot into it, really cares about it. And you hear that in those no, no, no. So that's what made me think. Yeah, no. No, absolutely, absolutely, and that's kind of been a consistent thing I've been saying across these episodes for seventy two right. seasons. That you know, the star of the album for me is James, really, and his performance. Yeah. Not even the writing per se, just like how good his guitar sound, how good his playing is, his vocals, his, his lyricism, etc. Is you know his health, his energy, his vigor that you can definitely feel through feel through this record. Right, and 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 yeah, sorry, just before we get to these final thoughts, just in terms of the 
close of the song as well you know everything kind of ramps up at the end um you know we have these classic moments like our sanitariums like our fades blacks where kirk kind of grabs the song by its collar and you know races off into the sunset of a proper heroic solo but you know again i've said what i've said about the solo really and it just uh you know doesn't really do anything for me like i've been listening to a lot of black crows lately actually uh who are a band that i'm very very late to but um mark ford their sort of first main guitar player for like second, third and fourth albums. Listen to a lot of him and he's kind of, Kirk, he reminds me a bit of Kirk weirdly because he does a lot of shapes and he'll just sort of hang there, you know, for like four bars. But I have a funny story about Mark Ford. Uh, we were playing, oh. we were playing Hollywood Bowl. I was in this band, this rock band. We were opening for Zach Brown. Oh no, I love Zach Brown. Well, so we we opened for him for about six months. We were a band that were signed to his mm. label, Southern Ground Records, and he would just you know quiet your mind. That's like a song of his. I, I never really got into his stuff, but yeah, he's interesting. But we played Hollywood Bowl. Obviously, it's Los Angeles. Whenever Zach Brown played, really anywhere, he always had a bunch of famous guests come. He was a very he's a very liked and respected dude in in the genre. Mm. So in L.A., a lot of people showed up. Jason Mraz showed up. Dwight Yoakam showed up. You know, a lot of people showed up. Well, we were in our dressing room. We'd already played. We're down in our dressing room, like in the sort of the bowels of Hollywood Bowl. And a dude's just roaming the halls. uh, And he came in our dressing room, and it was just really clear that he was somebody. He just had that ethos of, like, somebody. Mm. And he's like, I'm Mark Ford, and a couple of us were hip to Black Crows. And we were like, holy shit, you were in the Black Crows. He's like, yeah. And he was being cool about it. And then he sat with us for like two hours and just held court. Like he just told rock and roll mm. stories. He talked about being in bands. He 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 sort of became like a uh, like a little teacher, like a little Maharishi. And then just like that, he was gone. And we were like, "Holy shit! Did we just um, did we just hang out with Mark Ford for two hours?" <laughs> but he was just roaming the the backstage of Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, he didn't see our show. He didn't know who we were. He wasn't being a rock star. <laughs> he wasn't like looking for people to like teach. He just ended up in our room and we just sat there for hours. That's my Mark Ford story. That's an amazing story. And I'm learning a lot. I was in GNR. I was in, sorry, invited to be in GNR, I think. Yeah, I think everyone at a certain level was invited to be in that band. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I think like, before the like the Gilby was like the choice over him or something like that. So it wasn't like a Buckethead thing. But but yeah, Descending, uh, which is the closing song for Morica, which to be honest is a way better closing song than Inamorata with the greatest respect. But but yeah, the Black Keys are cool. Uh, Black Crows are cool. And obviously they um they shared a stage, you know, way back when in Moscow. Right. But as I said, uh, yeah, and, and sorry, the end of the song then, Clint, it just sort of ends on a note, right? It just kind of like, it slides out. There's, there's not like the grand fanfare of your. It actually reminds me of a Tool song, the way it ends. It doesn't end with like a big, mm. yeah, like lead lick, but it ends with these interesting chords. I mean, I would play them for you if this shit was working, but um, I actually really right. like the ending. Um, but, and then you hear... Yeah, you yeah hear, I do as well, actually. You hear James yeah. say, it reminds me of the end, if anyone out there is really familiar with Tool, there's a song called Ladder Alice. It reminds me of the end of Ladder Alice. And I like that at mm. the end, you hear James say that was a good button. I, I thought that was endearing because they have all their own yeah. little terms for shit. Like, we would call that where I, in my world we would call that a sting where he, it ends with that one and james says right, okay and james okay. says that was our best button and and what he's talking about what's actually really cool about that especially if you're a musician is it sounds like they're just playing chords right and chords are easy to play right but again back to my point about when you're playing dynamically is when you're most scared is when they they don't play to a click they're a live band they're not on a grid so when they're hitting all those crashes dat 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 they have to all be right in the pocket and doing it. And they probably did it a, a lot of times. That's why you hear James say that was the best button is you hear him yeah. basically saying, hey, we kind of nailed that. I love 
I love that little thing and I love they left it because it reminds me that they are a live band. There, I don't think any of those guys, except for Robert, who's the probably the best musician in the band, mm. could really exist in other bands and, and thrive the way they do as Metallica. But when they get together, they sound like Metallica, and Metallica is one of the biggest, coolest bands of all time. So I like that little moment. I like that they kept that in. Because I don't know if that means that they were overdubbing, like, hey, okay, we're going to start recording and just have Greg fix the tempos or whatever. Or if they're playing this fucking 11-minute song 50 times that day, mm. And yep. they finally nailed the ending together. I mean, it's, it's just, to me, it triggers and unlocks the kid in me that would listen to like a song. When I was a kid and a song would fade out, we call it the Nashville fade now. But when a song would fade out, in my mind, they just kept playing it forever in the studio because they just didn't want to stop. I ramped the volume on the closing song of Van Halen's 1984, House of Pain. <laughs> exactly. Because Eddie is something magical there. You can hear it and yeah, yeah then it's gone. Yeah. So. So anyway, there, that's what I'll say about the end. But no, I'm glad you deciphered the uh, the button thing. And we obviously hear that at the end of All Within My Hands and uh, Milady, And, you know, they, they they like this sort of, you know, little vocal. Like, what's the Ryan Adams one with Dave Rawlings where they're debating Morris or something? That's at the beginning of To Be Young. And he, they're talking about what that's song. Right. The worst version, the, the Dave Rawlings original uh, solo one is probably a little better, respectfully. But they're talking about what album a certain song was on, and one of them thinks it was on Bone and Drag, and one of them thinks it was on yeah something else. And he says, "I'll bet you five bucks." He's like Viva Hate or something, maybe. But yeah, yeah, Viva Hate. He's like, "No, nah, yeah, man, it's on yeah. Viva Hate." They just sound like Stoner Smiths fans. Yeah, and then they launch into what I I, I don't think David Rawlings is superior, but it is very good. But I think that sort of oh, rollicking, it's yeah, it's amazing. It's the, amazing the, the rollicking heartbreaker version, where dude, there's a point in that song where both Ryan and David Rawlings are playing guitar solos over each other, and it works. Mm. And they're not playing yeah. harmonies; they're just both playing independent guitar solos. Mm -hmm. And they left it in because it's funny and awesome, and it's what happened on the floor. Those Ryan Adams records, you know, before his fall from grace and all that, were sure. pretty good testaments to like the great 60s and 70s records where they just really played songs in a room for better or worse and yeah. usually it was really fucking good firecracker oh yeah everything on gold yeah, every, everything on yeah, gold, gold was recorded on the floor with a with a real band by glenn johnson what's that what what's that when the stars go blue whatever that stars go is, blue. coming back to me yeah that's a good tune that's gold good had tune. new so, york new york it had rescue blues new, yeah that was the opener yeah. Well, the opener is Firecracker. New York, New York's second track. The is the opener Firecracker? Sorry, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, no, dude, it was on Bone and Drag. <laughs> no, dude, it was on Viva Hate. <laughs> so Dr. Bass says, um, this is at Metallica Pop, by the way, replying on Twitter, one of their greatest ever songs. I don't understand how, but each time you think their songs peaked, it somehow finds an even greater peak. The way the riff turns around near the end is just insane. As much as I like the album, it's a shame that this is the only song that's, quote, different. It definitely, I have seen someone else say, someone said on the, on the Metal Up Your Podcast Discord that, like, it keeps changing. It definitely, once mm. it establishes itself, the verse one, pre-chorus one, chorus one, it definitely just does that twice. Nothing really changes except the lyric. Yeah, completely. Completely. And, but I do think once that slow thing happens, you do go for a bit of a ride before it comes back into the chorus. There is yeah. a there is a ride where it changes. It's quite amorphous, yeah, as James likes to do. Yeah, you know, you hear it in like Blacken and stuff like that, where there's just like little, little like you know, just one fret or whatever. But yeah, it just makes a difference. So um, Nick says the most different song on the album. I love the Caius corrosion of conformity vibe. I really like the middle guitar harmony that pays homage to my friend of misery. Yeah, we didn't really touch on that actually, which. 
I mean, it, it definitely does, right? I mean, My Friend of Misery has such a kind of multi-layer guitar solo, but it has the, probably the most famous bit is that kind of scooped, clipped kind of, you know, swing to it. And uh, I like how that's in here. Yeah, there's a there's a really like, um, a really similar phrasing where it goes, and they do it, it, it's, I mean, I would love to talk to them about it, obviously, but it does definitely feel like, obviously the song's about misery. Like there's no way that they weren't having an internal dialogue about it being an homage to the Black Album track. So that comes through in the solo and the lyric. And uh, our final, our final comment comes from uh, this is actually Rick Nashtag, who's a great friend of the show, been on the show before. He says overall positive, but liking it less the more I listen. I'm bummed that after the slow build up in the middle, the release is just another slow tempo guitar section, a missed opportunity to pick up the tempo and make the song more dynamic. The last few minutes of the song drag, he says, Clint. Yeah, I I don't really see it that way. I mean, when I think about it from a composition standpoint as a songwriter, I like that it's self-referential. I think for it to take a big left turn, which is something they have done quite successfully on many songs, so I see the point. But I think for it to just sort of stay where it is, stay thematically where it is, be self-referential. But but I'm telling you as a guitar player, because I, I was sitting down with it for a few hours today, there are things in it that are moving and changing. Um, and then, mm-hmm. and then a, a completely new riff comes in after that part. After they hit the chorus again, a completely new riff yeah. comes in, and that's really how they take the song out, which they do all the time. You know, they they have a riff at the end of this yeah. song that could have been its own song. The yeah, yeah, yeah. That definitely, I, I do love that riff. It's very satisfying when it drops in. And then they, he's Kirk solos over it, but then he turns that riff, which is a single note thing, he yeah. turns it into these big chords. Which is just another way that it it's it's self-referential, mm. but it evolves. It's cool. Like, yeah, it doesn't go to double time. It doesn't turn into a blast beat thrash thing. But I think that would be kind of uh, novelty-ish and it's strange, you know. Like to me, the song, yeah, this this happens a lot when I listen to music, especially when I listen to a guitar player solo. I always think like, do I understand where their heads at? Or if I'm like watching a film or a show, like the dialogue, sometimes I'm like, oh, I know the beat of the writer. You ever? Do, I'm surely you do that when you watch a film. Sure, sure. And then sometimes I don't know where the where the writer's going or where the band's going, and that's its own kind of thrill. Within a Murata, I I hear what they're doing. I know what they're doing. I probably could have mapped it out, but it doesn't bother me that it's not taking all these left turns. Uh, to me, it just feels like a piece that's really cohesive and cool. It is long though, for sure. It it is lengthy. It's um it's almost a seventh of the album's run length when you think about it. It's eleven minutes out of seventy eight, and uh, and yeah, that, that that's a big chunk of a long album. So. As always, guys, uh, follow us at MetallicaPod. Get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, we are looking for people to guest on the blacklist. I have, at the time of recording, got in touch with quite a few people for like the first nine episodes, which is like the first four songs of the blacklist or so. We're kind of getting up like four songs per song, but no song will have two episodes on it. And maybe some will, will just cover two of the songs slightly shorter there, try and get as many guests and takes on it as possible. So, um, yeah, Patreon is there if you want to support Got a few new series on there. Well, one really, but a few editions of the So What Files. So this is my new video series where I'm going through every issue of Metallica's So What magazine collection. And um, the first one, the second one is just being uh, written at the moment, but the first one's already on there. It's 30 minutes of me going through the volume one, issue one, 1994 uh, edition of So What. Really fun issue. And just going through is going to be a treat, especially looking at the art and stuff like that. But um, Clint, I mean, people already know, right? M-U-Y-P forever. Yeah, yeah. And I want to encourage anyone who may be listening to this because I'm on it or whatever, definitely go check out that Patreon because making podcasts is not easy. Making them, making good ones that come out in a timely manner that are well edited 
it's hard to do. And so you can, I mean, everyone's strapped. The world, the world's weird right now. Cool. But if you got a buck or two a month to throw somebody like Tom, who <laughs> goes out of his way to make this 72 stuff. 72 cents. 72. He yeah. loved, yeah. If you want to get thematic about it, 72 cents. I would encourage yeah. everyone to check that out. You know, I support podcasts that I love and, uh, hopefully you can too so thanks for listening and i'm I'll, yeah you can find all my shit wherever you find metal up your just look up metal up your podcast <laughs> yeah metal up, and obviously we've had clinton on many times i even recapped the first time we met at the morgan gig so you know it's uh in manchester so there's, there's, there's lots of material on there and obviously we're now done with 72 seasons so we will be back for portal soon got some interesting guests there already recorded uh one of those that was actually the gin which will be on Patreon, but probably by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be off there. But yeah, um, check that out for Paul's episodes and stuff like that. But Clint, this is great. You know, we're about to actually record some MUYP. So, yep. you know, um, I'm sure it'll be out on the feed. So I um, hope it's a good one. But uh, no, seriously, thanks again for your time. Always a treat to have such podcast royalty on here. And, you know, just a good friend and a great hang. And you even made Inamorata bearable. So uh, thank you for that, my friend. <laughs> Happy to do it. All right, thanks.